Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 245 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have a super special cast this week. Uh, Richard, not around this week. Krim, of course, is here. How you doing, Krim? I'm doing all right. Uh, and we have a super special that, de- uh, guest this week. Spice Academy professor, Magic Hall of Famer, one of the greatest limited players in minds in Magic. Ben Stark is joining us. How's it going today, Ben? Oh, it's going great. I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing super well. And thank you so much for coming on the cast this week. I'm really excited. We talk a lot about constructed magic news, but we don't really get too many limited focus casts, especially with really awesome limited players. Where I'm more of a like pre-release CubeGraph style limited player, not really a competitive limited player. I don't know. What about you, Krim? Uh, how do you play limited very much? The last time I played limited was probably just testing for London, <laughs> and and uh, other than that, like that last time I just played limited for like just like fun and whatnot. I think was during Avis like. Avison restored. Oh yeah, and then how did how did uh, London Limited go? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I I drafted what was a good deck. I just didn't draw my win conditions ever. <laughs> T- to be fair, if uh, the last limited I played was Avison restored, I might not be playing a ton of limited right now. Uh, that's actually yeah, yeah. That, that was I guess one of my least favorite formats. <laughs> it was uh, not. Great, but I did have fun playing Triple Innistrad and stuff like that. Oh, actually, no, Innistrad is after Avacyn, so I played that one. Yeah, yeah, I, I, Innistrad I know is wildly popular. Uh, I just, I just didn't personally like Avacyn at all because uh, some of the, the mechanics were really bad for limited, like Soul Bond, and just create all and Miracle, just create all these awkward like board spots where like uh, you'd Soul Bond together like two creatures and it would just completely dominate the board and things like that. Yep, yep. That, uh, I do that, remember that because it was a pretty boring limited format for me and I, and I did think soul bond was kind of weird yeah it wasn't great that's actually a good question uh, ben you've played a lot of limited formats i assume is avacyn restored your least favorite limited format or is there something that comes in even behind avacyn restored mm, uh yeah it's a good question i mean i've played pretty much every limited format um but Avison might be the worst. I mean, that's that's why I felt the need to speak up when you mentioned that your last <laughs> the last limited yeah. part that you played was Avison. It just like kind of sparked this like rage inside me. But <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's a good question. Avison restored might be the worst. I mean, I know some people are going to say like Cold Snap or something, which honestly might be worse. I wasn't playing um like professionally during Cold Snap. I still caught some drafts, I think, on Magic Online and stuff. But uh, yeah. I actually kind of like Cold Snap. I always, I always thought that, uh, like triple small set formats, I wouldn't want to play them all the time, but some really wacky stuff could, uh, happen in triple, uh, small set formats. I'm trying to, what was the first, uh, gate set? It must have been, uh, Ravnica, and they had, like, the four drop. <laughs> creatures that cared about gates and you could just like draft all of those and all the gates and like triple it must be triple dragon's maze limited so uh, while they're not great formats they're kind of fun in small doses i think to play like triple small set uh, limited yeah i definitely think that can be true i think the reason uh cold snap is so hated isn't because of the concept there it's because the particular mechanic happened to be ripple 
And so what would happen is somebody would make the opponent discard their hand on turn two with the one black ripple card because, you know, triple cold snap or somebody else would play like four knights on turn three, you know, with the two one knight ripple card. I think I, I don't think the concept of doing crazy things in a small triple small set limited, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it can backfire when you have the wrong mechanic like ripple. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What about the other end of the scale? I know... Uh- a lot of times when you talk favorite limited formats, you hear Innistrad, Rise of the Eldrazi. What's near the top of your limited list, Ben? Yeah, my list is a little different than most people's. I, I, I consider actually both those formats to be like fun, like but nothing special. Um, my favorite limited formats are Champions of Kamigawa, uh, Time Spiral, the first modern masters. Um, there was like a really, really good run. I feel like of limited formats back in uh, t- 2005 from uh, like, basically you had like Mirrodin, which I think was okay, but not like on that level. And then you had champions and then time spiral. And then the first Ravico with the bounce lands. I think like those limited formats were really when they were just like making them, I don't know the best. Although to be honest, we're kind of in like a second run of that because I mean, from War of the Spar, um, M20 and, uh, Throat of Eldrain, Limited's been pretty sweet for the past year. Yeah, what what do you think? I mean, one of the things I definitely wanted to get to was Throne of Eldorain, which is our newest limited format. I know it's only been out on like Magic Online and Arena maybe two weeks now, roughly. What are the early returns on that format? Is that up to par with, like you mentioned, War of the Spark and some of the other really good limited formats we've had recently? It seems fun. Uh, the colors are kind of doing their own thing, but then when you pair them with uh, each other, they do different things. And uh, there seems to be a lot of depth. Like, um, you know, you can draft these, like, very aggressive knight stacks. You can draft these, you know, grindy mid-rangey black-green food decks. You can draft these controlling blue decks. They kind of stole that blue-red uh, draw-two archetype from Modern Horizons. Um, yeah, it seems it seems fun so far. I've only gotten in a couple of drafts, but it seems like there's some pretty cool archetypes. Yeah, and like a lot of what makes a limited format good is generally going to be the mechanics because they're going to show up on a lot of commons and uh, they really influence gameplay. And uh, in this particular format with adventures and food, I feel like you've got a pretty good situation where people have resources to work with and play these long, interesting games. Yeah, I think the adventure mechanic is is really sweet for limited. Anything that kind of gives you uh, like this incidental card advantage just built into the card, uh, almost like when you have like scrying in a format or something, it just makes games feel so much better and more interesting, where you always feel like you have something going on. And I think a, a Throne of Eldering does a really good job hitting that mark. Yeah, I definitely agree and it's actually uh it's a little bit of a double whammy sometimes so i think what people realize um in, you know what you just said that uh mechanics like scry and surveil and adventure that give you things to do with your mana and stuff like that kind of lead to these better games where somebody doesn't just win because they drew like you know two more spells than the <laughs> opponent right because you both just have stuff to do on almost every turn I think what people don't realize is that, um, conversely, when you put those kinds of uh, abilities on cards, you're able to make the front end of the card worse and still have the card be service serviceable. So what you have is people not getting run over, not getting punished as hard for stumbling. And that matters a lot in Limited because, you know, the difference between somebody playing like the equivalent of or just flat out a two mana three two or a three mana three power creature or having to pay four for their three two having to wait an extra turn like like we see in throne because 
um, you know, it'll have adventure, it'll be a pump spell, it'll be in someone's hand, or it'll be a four mana three two or a two mana two one instead of like a two mana three power creature or like a four mana four power creature, let's say. Um, anyways, what, what, what I'm going, where I'm going with this is when you have these kinds of abilities uh, on the card, like scry or adventure, you're able to make a four mana three two instead of a two or three mana three two, and that slows things down and makes it so that when someone's stumbling, they don't get punished as hard. They maybe have a chance to miss a land drop and then hit a turn later and then still play a good game and maybe win. And uh, so mechanics that allow for that, like Adventure, I think kind of do double duty at making limited formats good because you get something to spend your resources on, but you also get a lot of cards that are a little bit slower and a little bit less powerful than they would be otherwise. Yeah, I think that's a, a really great point. And I want to talk a little more about Throne of Eldraine, but before we do, uh, I want to also mention real quick that Ben has a Spikes Academy course, and we're going to talk uh, more about what that entails in a little bit after we get through some Throne of Eldraine stuff. But I want to make sure everyone knew that there's a special coupon code this week, Ben Goldfish, and for this week, you can get a massive 12% discount on Ben's course. So I want to make sure we slip that in there and people knew before we get too much into Throne of Eldraine. And like I said, we will talk much more about what the course actually entails in a couple minutes. I want to ask you uh, about Throne of Eldraine. Do you have a favorite archetype so far? Uh, it's it's one of those sets that has pretty clear, like, two-color archetypes for the most part. I guess knights are kind of, like, in Mardu, so it's a little different. But is there one that has stood out to you as being uh, your favorite so far that you've been drafting Throne of Eldraine? I'm not going to lie. The other day on stream... I drafted three Lucky Clovers, I think, and like three of the 04 <laughs> mil. Nice. And uh, a Beanstalk Giant and some other stuff. This actually happened. I mean, it should be in the VODs. I played a game, I played a game where, uh, I played a turn two Clover. On turn three, I, uh, I didn't make a land drop. I think I played a second Clover or something. I don't remember. On turn four, I, uh, I played a Beanstalk Giant on Adventure and got like two copies of it. And I think they copied the original one. I mean, they countered the original one, but I still got both copies because with Lucky Clover, if somebody copies an adventure, uh, you still get the cop. If you play an adventure and copy it and they counter the event, the original one, you still get the copy. They'd have to co- co- counter both if that's even possible. I'm not even sure whether they can counter the copy or not, but definitely you still get the copy even if they counter the original. So this is limited. This sounds like we're playing standard or something. <laughs> yep. but this is limited. So turn four, I search out uh, two lands through a counter spell, and then I uh, played the O four that mills for um, for four with copies or whatever. And then uh, turn five, I played like one or two more of it and decked the opponent, and they had another <laughs> counter spell. So they countered one of them, but it's not a mill twelve; it's three mill fours. So you know, I still got to mill eight. So I ended up milling them out on turn five. <laughs> through two counterspells. They countered both turns on... They had a counterspell on turn four and on turn five. And uh, I still milled them out on turn five. Wow. Through, through double counterspell. <laughs> so that, that was... Yeah, so that... My favorite archetype so far has been milling people. <laughs> That's... uh Like, mill, mill is like a thing, right? Like, it, it can actually happen in limited when you're only playing 40 cards... So, like, I remember, like, what, M15 or whatever, Jace, like, Memory Adept was, like, one of the best bombs you could have. But, like, so, so is, would you say Mill is a, a real thing, like, when it comes to Limited? I think Mill is a very real thing in this format. I found myself also, when I was playing other games, choosing not to loot. 
just because I was like, well, there's 17 cards left in my deck and I have this ability to do this pretty much whenever I want and drawing two and a turn is triggering things, I could easily see myself going through my whole deck. I think this is a format where your library is a resource and mill is very real. And and with mill being potentially real and there's the double draw mechanic, right? Is there ever a world where you would say go go maybe go over 40 cards or no? I'm not going to say there isn't cuz like you just said some of the factors are in line with that. Um I do think people will probably be better served by not doing that unless they really understand the exact like the exact time to do it. All I can really say is uh if your deck revolves around certain cards like lucky clovers or something, don't do it. Um if your opponent's milling you with O fours, but you also saw like some some flyers that could attack you and stuff, you probably don't really want to go crazy with it. Maybe um, you know if your deck doesn't revolve around anything and you don't have any super bombs and you had one tough last cut or two tough two two good playables in your board, mm-hmm. maybe you board up to forty three and you board in like two playables one land because you're not really distorting your deck. You know it was a, a tough last cut anyway. Okay, but. But, I mean, I think that, like, if your deck has, like, a bomb, like, a couple of really good cards, a couple, like, enablers, like, Lucky Clover-type cards that your deck, like, revolves around, you really don't want to lower the percentage of the time that you draw those to give yourself a couple more cards in your library. All right, sweet. You mentioned doing that deck that sounds awesome on stream. If people want to go check out that uh, VOD or check out your stream, uh, where can they find you on Twitch, Ben? Oh, thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a Benus underscore MTG on Twitch and on Twitter and on YouTube. Um, um, were you? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I just generally stream Monday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, starting at about 5 p.m. Eastern, usually wrapping up at night between like 10 p.m. and midnight. Ooh, awesome. Well, this podcast will be going up around 5 p.m. Eastern. So if you want to see uh, Ben Stark in action, you can probably just like hop over to his Twitch right now and, uh, <laughs> and catch some live limited <laughs> with Ben. Were you streaming before the MPL thing, Ben? I know, uh, your stream is really. Uh, I mean, really taken off in the past year. Uh, did you start because of the MPL or were you streaming before that? No, I, I completely started because of the MPL right around uh, January 1st, uh, you know, when I signed the contract. Um, I was, um, like, I had streamed on a, a friend's channel, South Florida Magic, a few years back just to see what it was like. And of course, I've been making draft videos for a long time, but I've been, like, really blown away by the, like, size of my stream and support for my stream. Um, I like did, I'm basically a new streamer as of January and you know I did not expect to be having like over a thousand viewers every night it's pretty crazy to be honest yeah that is that is super awesome and uh and super cool to see especially like uh, I think that I've seen on Twitch uh, there's not too many people that are really hugely successful as limited streamers and I think that makes it doubly impressive that your stream is just like really blown up focusing on what I think like I think it's easy to to some extent to have people watch your Twitch stream if you play like wacky constructed decks but doing it in limited is just like super impressive so congratulations on that uh, have you enjoyed it I know I've talked to some other MPL players some people love that uh love the streaming aspect some people aren't as big of fans uh how have you enjoyed the experience of streaming for the past year it's it's complicated because I mean I really do love it like uh talking about magic analyzing magic dis- discussing magic strategy is my favorite thing in the entire world as uh every every friend i've had and people who didn't <laughs> want to discuss it with me could tell you 
But uh, also, like, it is also, like, tiring and, like, draining. Like, I've been streaming, like, three days a week. And it's not like I wouldn't stream more, like, because this is the amount of days I want to work. It's like, I feel like I need to recover after I do it. But I also, like, you know, when I'm doing it, it's, like, it's super fun. I mean, it's like a magic tournament, you know what I mean? It's like when you go to, like, a Grand Prix or a Mythic Championship, you go because they're so fun. And when you're in it, you're thinking about every play and everything matters. And you're trying your hardest to, you know, you know to win and, to, you know, to perform your best. And, like, it's a lot of fun. But then, like, you wouldn't want to play another one Monday and Tuesday after you finished a big one Saturday and Sunday. You, like, need to recover. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. I stream about three times a week, and I... I give all the credit in the world to people that can do it like eight hours a day, five or six days a week. I I don't think I could do it. You're kind of more in that camp, aren't you, Krim? You stream pretty much five days a week for like a pretty big chunk of yeah. time every stream. Yeah, pretty much. I do it like, because like I do all the stuff, you know, work in the morning and then I stream pretty much all the way from like eight to 2 a.m. Or, or something like that. So, uh, but I but I used to stream like six days a week. Uh, and whatnot. Yeah, you're a machine. I mean, I, I'm hoping that I'm able to build up my like ability to do more days and more hours, like slowly but surely, because I do really enjoy it. I love firing it up and just getting to debate picks with people and hearing what they would take and like hearing their reasons and like it's like you know. I just get to like constantly discuss magic. I mean, I'm effectively getting paid to do my favorite thing in the world: d- debate, debate booster <laughs> draft picks. You know, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, but, like, yeah, right now, I definitely couldn't see myself doing a fourth day. Not because of scheduling, just because, like, it just feels, like, so intense to me. But, you know, like I said, I am a relatively new streamer. I've only been doing it regularly for nine months now. So, hopefully, uh, as time goes, I can develop some of that stamina for it that you have. So, one more Throne of Eldering question. Uh, Before we talk a little bit about your Spikes Academy course, uh... Has there been anything so far? And again, we're only like two weeks in, but has there been any cards so far that uh, you think have either greatly exceeded your initial evaluation, been way better than you thought, or have been way worse than you thought? You were high on them like during spoiler season, but now you've played with them and you're like, eh, I don't know, maybe it's not as good as I thought. Anything that falls into that camp? Hmm. I mean, I feel like, so uh, me and Deathsea did a card-by-card review of, like, every card in the set. We, like, streamed it right before the set came out that weekend, um, the weekend before, after the uh, the full previews were out. Um, so, I mean, I'm trying to think about that. I know um, I know we didn't give a good grade to Revenge of Ravens, and uh, some people have been, like, going going nuts about that card. But I kind of already knew that was going to happen. So your limited review, you just were so good right away that you just nailed it. <laughs> that, no, that, no, no, no. I'm, I'm short. Look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not no, saying no, I'm, that. No, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just playing with you. Uh, just teasing you. But. I know, but I'm sure, no, but I mean, this is a save VOD, so I'm sure people are going to go and find stuff that we completely misevaluated because, I mean, this is before we even played one game with the set. So I'm sure by limited review, there are cards that, like, uh, we completely misevaluated. I don't necessarily even remember the review we gave for every card. I'm trying to think, like, um, which cards I think we got wrong by the most or I got wrong by the most to answer the question. I can't imagine doing a limited review like that. Uh, constructed reviews are kind of easy because only a small percentage of cards are actually relevant. But limited, you got to talk about 
pretty much every single card. Like, what is that process like? That seems like uh, I wouldn't want to undertake a limited review. It seems like it would be really challenging. Yeah. Well, I mean, we did it in two parts. Uh, each stream was about five or six hours. So, yeah, it was about 10 to 12 hours to get through every single card. <laughs> I mean, it was challenging. Uh, you know, like we, we've often made fun of LSV set reviews for stuff he got wildly wrong. But like I said, I know that, uh, I got stuff wildly wrong because, you know, I mean, before you play a single game with a set, I mean, it's really hard to evaluate it accurately. Like I, you know, like I feel like I learn really quickly, but I still have to learn. Like I still have to play. So like, you know, a set will, a set will drop on Arena or Magic Online and I'll just jam right away, you know, five to 10 drafts a day, like from the moment it hits. So by the end of week one, sure, like, I know what's up it, very quickly, but that's because I've done 30 drafts, you know yeah. what I mean? Just looking at, just looking at a set, like, is really, really hard. But so, I mean, Revenge of Ravens, I think, is one that we did not give a good grade to that I know people have been, uh, like, saying how, how broken it is. Uh, I do, I did what I was going to say was I did already kind of know that was going to happen because people just love anything that actually is the card that does the damage or like finishes yeah. the game, you know. But that said, I do think that card is a lot better in the matchups where it's good than we probably gave credit for, though I still think people should stay away from that card if their opponent's on like a black green food deck or a blue mill deck. So where where does that fall in your pick order then, uh, Revenge of Ravens? Is that something that you're willing to snap off pretty highly, or does the fact that it have uh, has some bad matchups make it hard to, uh, to pick early? I mean, it's really hard to say because it depends on what other people are doing, um, especially in these bot drafts where... Um, like maybe it's not going to find that natural balance that uh, that pod drafts do, Me- meaning like there doesn't have to be two or three aggro knights players uh, out of every seven you face because everyone could be just drafting blue mill and black green food if they want to because they're drafting in spots and not each other. Whereas if you're in a eight person human pod, if nobody else is drafting knights and you just get all the knights at the table, you're going to have the most busted knight aggro decks, or someone's <laughs> going to end up there most of the time. Um, so it's hard to say because when you're playing like aggro mirrors, when you're trying to attack with flyers and they're trying to swarm you with little creatures, Revenge of Ravens is incredible. It's a really good card. But if you're trying to deck the opponent, uh, or they're trying to deck you or whatever, it's not a very good card at all because I mean, even if you're the one trying to deck them, then it's just a life gain enchantment. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not like, you're not pressuring their life total at all. So it doesn't really matter if they take 10 while attacking you. Um, and, uh, we've asked this question before, but like, how much life would a card have to gain at a reasonable casting cost to be playable and limited? Like, pretend, uh, pretend it was a sorcery and it was just like three colorless to cast or four colorless to cast. Gain X life. What does that number have to be? Oh, it's gotta, gotta be a pretty uh... high number, right? I mean, we have what? Gain, Gain seven for two is something that we already have. So you got to be above that rate, I think. I mean, I don't know the answer. There isn't a crystal clean answer. And of course, it's going to vary. The more aggressive your deck, the less you want that, the better your late game, the more you want that. But even in like, you know, not like a clear the mind deck, but like, let's just say in Throne Limited, where a lot of the decks are doing food things and blue is not about aggression really at all. Um, you know, would you play in an average, let's say, green black food deck? Would you play the card four mana sorcery gain ten life? I don't think I don't, I don't really. think you would. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't know. So. I don't know the answer, but I don't think you would. So my point is, if you look at something like Revenge, um, if you're not pressuring their life total, 
uh, and they're just going to attack you, you know, let's say 10 times with creatures, because, you know, they, sure, like, maybe it stops a one-power creature from attacking you at all, but how many one-power creatures do people have unlimited? They're going to have some three-power creatures and stuff, too. Uh, so if it's going to, you know, deal them 10 and gain you 10, if the, uh, if the 10 it's dealing them is irrelevant, that's just not a very good card, even out of a control deck. It's just four mana gain 10, right? It's not like it actually gives the creatures minus one, minus O, so that it makes it harder for them to attack into your one or two blockers. It literally just gains you life and does them damage. Conversely, though, if you're racing, it's impossible to race that card. Literally impossible. Like, right, like if you play like a two drop and a three drop that can't block mine, and I play a two drop and a three drop and can't block yours, if every time you attack me and then attack me two creatures and attack me three creatures, you take one and I gain one, you take two and I gain two, you take three and I gain three, and our creatures can't block each other, I'm, you're never going to win the race against that enchantment. So it sounds like, uh, it doesn't just depend on what your opponent's playing, but also you kind of need to be in the right deck to make uh, to make it work. Yeah, exactly. Like when you're trying to like play, like, like if you're a blue white flyers type deck and they're like um, an aggressive, you know, white red knights mm. deck, then that card is incredible. But if you're trying to deck them, it's just a life gain spell for you, even if they're trying to attack you. If they're trying to deck you, it's a blank piece of paper. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so like, I think that the card is probably overrated by a lot, a lot at this point, but it, it does have its matchups where it's very powerful. So, uh, I think that's a, a good segue, having been dropping some limited wisdom on us to talk a little bit about your Spikes Academy course. So, uh, again, over at spikesacademy.com, the code Ben Goldfish can get you 12% off Ben's course. And uh, Ben, uh, let's say someone's never heard of Spikes Academy before, or never heard of your course at least before. Uh, what should they expect if they head over to SpikesAcademy.com, type in Ben Goldfish for 12% off, and jump into this course? Yeah, so I mean, Spikes Academy is kind of a cool concept. Uh, I believe in representing everything accurately, not like however she's going to sell it the best. That's just not personally how I roll. So people have asked me like, well, why should I buy your spikes course or whatever? And here's the thing. There's nothing on there that you can't get otherwise or that you can't get for free, right? But, you know, if you want to watch uh, hundreds and thousands of hours of draft videos and learn everything through osmosis, like that's great. That's wonderful. Like that's what I would want to do. But if you uh, have a busy schedule and you want like a concise limited lesson to level up your game, the Spikes Academy course is, you know, um, if you'd watch five hours of my draft stream or five hours of a draft video, there's going to be the, the important concepts that come up, you know, once or twice over that five hour period. And I'm going to highlight them. But we're mostly going to be discussing like, oh, like on this turn, I'd make this play on this next turn. I make this play. And here's why on this next turn. I make this play. And here's why. The Spikes Academy class is a class. It's designed to hit you with concept after concept, with lesson after lesson. So, you know, whereas you're going to, uh, in five hours of a draft stream or a draft video, you're going to maybe get hit by two concepts and just a lot of, like, what's the plays and what's the picks and discussion of strategy. In the Spikes class, in five hours worth, you're going to get hit by 20 concepts. It's just... It's like if we pulled all of the important concepts that drive playing magic well and that drive limited decision-making well, and then we made a course. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's, that's what Spikes is. It's, uh, if you want like a concise lesson on how to evaluate the cards for limited, how to booster draft well, how to draft different types of decks, 
um, how to build seals, how to evaluate the cards for sealed, how to build a mana base, how to choose between colors. We just went concept by concept and then built a lesson around it. That sounds pretty rad. And like, like just, just for all the listeners too, like who also play constructed, some would say that just like what you learn from limited carries over into constructed very well, like, like easily. So, I mean, part, yeah, part of why I like limited, there's constructed deck building, which is a whole new skill, a whole different skill from limited and something that I don't personally uh, think I'm great at. And I think is really hard. And I give all the credit in the world to the people who innovate in constructed deck building. But as far as in-game play, constructed decks, if we're not talking about uh, like Storm or some deck <laughs> yeah. that we would call not normal magic, yeah. Tend to be tend to be more focused than uh, limited decks. An aggressive deck is going to be in the aggressive role. Like uh, if you're a red or a white yeah. deck, you're going to be attacking and focused on dealing as much damage as you can and advancing your board at all times. If you're a control deck, an esper deck, a blue deck, whatever, and constructed, you're generally going to be focused on defensive and prolonging the game and stopping this other person aggression at all uh, aggression at all times. Where I'm going with this is limited decks are less focused. So the the in-game play does tend to be harder. So if you get um, good at playing draft decks against each other and you play well and you're able to identify like, oh, this turn I'll be defensive, this turn I'll be aggressive. Now I have a good window to switch. Oh, this particular game, even though normally I would be defensive in this matchup, this particular game, uh, my hand lends itself really well to pressuring them. So I'm going to switch gears that those kind of skills translate over to constructed. They just won't come up as often. So what I'm saying is if you can play limited well, you can play constructed well, uh, because the in-game play in limited tends to be harder. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I would definitely agree. I think limited, yeah, it, it's a lot harder. And you have to, I think, uh, play around a lot more. One of the easy parts, I think, about yeah. constructed is if you're really kind of, like, entrenched in the metagame, you can almost, like, name off card for card your opponent's list a lot of times. <laughs> uh, but in limited, there's so many tricks, so many random cards. Uh, I find it a lot harder to uh, to track and keep up on every possible play the opponent could have and not get myself, like, blown out by a combat trick that I'm not thinking of or something. Something. So I, I would definitely agree that it's a lot harder to play limited than constructed. Right. You're basically mashing different mid-range decks against each other at all times, where like sometimes you create value and play defensively because you have a handful of a lot of casting costs. Sometimes you need to take aggressive windows and try and end games quickly, even if it means making small sacrifices. I just feel like there's a lot of that, like, there's a lot of room for maneuvering in-game and limited. So uh, as far as the course, what level of players is kind of for? If someone is uh, new to Limited, they've been playing some standard on Arena since Arena just released, they're interested in like getting into some sealed and drafts, uh, w- will this course work for them, or uh, is it for a more advanced player? Where does that uh, kind of fall? I would say this course is like probably intermediate. Um, like If you're really a beginner, and you uh, like have done less than, like let's say, 10 booster drafts in your life, I would probably uh, look to more beginner material, look to maybe limited resources, as well as um, just go out and do drafts and get comfortable with it before you take the course. Um, the course isn't meant to like teach a limited format. Like the course is meant to teach how to like think about draft well, how to think about sealed well, how to think about the in-game play in limited well. It's definitely a course like about teaching someone how to fish, not giving them a fish, quote unquote. Like um, the um, the examples are from the sets that were around when we made the course. I think like Ravnica, Allegiance, War of the Spark, M20. But uh, 
the concepts are stuff you can apply. Like we, like I talk about like stuff like, you know, this is how much death touch is worth. Like this is what types of cards death touch is worth more on and what types of cards it's worth less on. You know, this is, these are the kind of decks that want it, you know? So it, the point of the course is basically to teach how you think about limited well, how you booster draft well, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not meant to teach like the very basics of it. And it's not meant to teach you how to do it well in Throne of Eldraine. It's meant to teach you how to approach any limited format and every limited format. So that's why I would call it like intermediate. Uh, that seems like a, a really good thing, though, because uh, there's so many limited formats, and then you have, like, flashback drafts, and there's new sets coming every three months, so it's nice that it's uh, kind of evergreen in a way, where the stuff that you learn, it's not going to just help you for the next three months uh, until we get Theros, the return of Theros, but it's going to help you with your limited game, uh, kind of no matter what you're playing by the sounds. Yeah, that, that was the point of it, is basically, like, evergreen limited strategy. That, that would be the whole point. That was basically the whole point of the course. Well, it definitely sounds uh, very interesting. And again, 12% off with the code BENGOLDFISH over at SpikesAcademy.com for the next week. Uh, one of the things I think that comes up uh, in your course a little bit is some of the differences between, uh, now that we have Arena, some of the different formats on Arena, one of those is uh, bot drafts versus uh, kind of traditional pod drafts that you see in Paper on Magic Online. Uh, what has your experience been with that, Ben? Like, how much different is it drafting against the bots on Arena compared to uh, Magic Online or Paper? Yeah, I, it's, it's a great question. I get asked about this a lot. I, I could probably <laughs> talk about it for like 12 hours. Um, <laughs> I mean, so it's tricky because if bots drafted roughly as well and roughly the same as humans, then there's an advantage there, right, to bot drafts because bots will go at a much faster pace than your average human opponent's. And even it's not even like, oh, you're a fast drafter. What if you're a slower drafter? Well, some drafts, you open a, a, a pack that has a broken blue rare. You see blue the whole draft. Most of the picks are easy. And you want that draft to take two, three, five minutes because it was just an easy draft and the picks weren't that interesting. Other drafts are really complicated. And, you know, you, you have to kind of waffle between colors and you have a lot of really hard picks and different avenues you can go. And you want that draft to take 30 minutes or whatever. You want to be able to spend a lot of time thinking about one of those picks. Maybe you want to screenshot it and tweet it at your favorite limited pros. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> so my point is with bot drafting, instead of uh, like human drafts, you're kind of able to control the pace because, well, robots will operate at any pace. They don't care, right? So there's a big advantage to the fact that you can draft really quickly when it's an easy draft or you're a faster draft and you can draft really slowly. Um, but the problem with the bot drafts, it has been over the past year, the bots just aren't that good. They're not indistinguishable from humans. You're getting cards 12th pick that, that you would never get 12th pick with humans. You're seeing the same decks over and over and over again when every draft with humans feels different. You know, when I do human drafts, it feels like, you know, one pod, I can't get access to mill. There's five of the eight people fighting for it. And the next pod, I'm the only one looking for it and it's wide open, right? So, I mean, and that's the beauty of draft is finding what's open, finding what the people around you are doing as quickly as you can, and then being able to maneuver into these open lanes and get rewarded and things like that. So, you know, if the bot programming can get to the point where it's indistinguishable from a human drafter, I'm all for bot drafts. But at the moment, I feel like bots, the bots aren't there yet. I don't feel like the bots have given us the experience 
that you get, the full rich experience that you get drafting with humans at this point. Yeah, I think uh, that's probably basically been my experience. There's definitely some big upsides that I found, uh, the time being one of the biggest ones. But then, yeah, uh, a lot of the formats end up being a little bit uh, wonky at some points, with the same color archetype always being open. Uh, Do you do mostly uh, arena drafts at this point as far as your content? Have you made the switch from uh, doing Magic Online drafts? I'm not going to lie, it happened almost immediately, naturally, without me even thinking about it in a choice. Uh, I I really like, I'm I'm like, I don't know the word for this, but I'm somebody who really likes things online. I'm I'm not somebody, even despite being a little on the older side, I'm 35, I'm not somebody who longs for like the old ways for things. So anyways, Arena comes out and I start playing on it and I'm just like, oh wow, this is just faster and smoother and better. And like, I've only opened Magic Online since to play Modern or do Modern Horizons or things that I had to open Magic Online for. I basically just go to my computer and open Arena, like, because that's what I want to do, because it's a a more fun, better program without even thinking about it or consciously making a choice. So, so even though the bots really aren't there yet, it's still definitely worth it to uh, interact with Arena and Limited. Yeah, I feel like, you know, let's say they were just like, this isn't going to happen, but let's just hypothetically say they announced. The bots are as good as they can be. They're never going to be better than this. Uh, this is the max bot experience. I might start going back to Magic Online drafts if that was the case, because I, I would say we basically have to like concede the concept of bot drafting. But for now, since it feels like they're always improving the bots and working on them, uh, I'm just going to you know ride it out with the better program, the smoother, faster games and all of that and kind of hope that the bots keep improving, that they're working on them and they're learning or whatever magical powers. I don't know computers are. I don't <laughs> necessarily know how this works, but, but I mean, hopefully the people who do will make the bots awesome. I think another question there is they've talked about, and I think still uh, have in the works, having some sort of pod drafting uh, come to Arena. Uh, if that was an option, would that be what you uh, would take advantage of, you think, over the bot drafting, if you could do kind of traditional drafts, but do them on Arena? Right now, for sure, I would. Um, you know, there's a good amount on Arena that I don't really understand. Uh, kind of this you-have-to-choose game. I understand that, uh, like, you know, if you spread out the people too too uh, too much, too thin, then you end up with long wait times and queues and things like that. But given Arena only has a couple of sets and, like, a couple of current formats and is pretty popular... Like, stuff like, you know, why, like, we don't have um, best-of-three ranked draft, why the best-of-three uh, is so long is till five wins instead of, like, let's say three wins. I'm not – there's a lot of things on Arena that are, like, just small choices that they there has to be reasons for, and I don't personally know. Bot, and bot, uh, bot drafting versus bot, excuse me, versus pod drafting would be another one of those. I don't think the programming is hard to have – human drafts with each other so why there isn't just like you know one queue where you can queue up uh, a booster draft pod with eight humans like there is on magic online why they don't have that on arena and uh then a different queue where you can draft with bots at your own pace uh i have no idea like this is one of those to me where it doesn't feel like you should have to choose it feels like yeah. that's a fine split to have where you have pod drafting and bot drafting. Yeah, it would, be, it would probably be yeah. nice to have uh, both options available. And hopefully we get there. They still, It's still something that uh, is talked about, at least, having actual pod drafting. You mentioned best of one, best of three. 
how is that bad? We've never really had before Arena Best of One Limited. Uh, what do you think of Best of One Limited? Uh, do you enjoy it or do you stick with Best of Three usually? I definitely enjoy it. Um, I think, with, like a lot of things, even concepts I've kind of touched on here, uh, there's a little bit too much of on off when when people view this. You're not either a best of three person or a best of one person, right? They're both magic. Best yeah. of one is faster and more convenient. Uh, it's a lot easier to like kind of make plans with people and just sit around playing best of one. And then, you know, you just have to wrap up that one game in a timely fashion and then go about whatever than it is best of three. But I also find sideboarding to be an interesting part of magic. I find playing around the stuff I saw in game one to be an interesting part of magic. So to me, best of three limited magic is a 10 on like a one to 10 fun scale. And best of one limited magic is like an eight or a nine. It's still great and it serves its purpose. But best of three just has like, you know, 10% more fun to offer than best of one does. Yeah, I think uh, that is a good way of breaking it down. And I do think people tend to be a little bit too black and white when it comes to that. I know I am someone who in constructed definitely very much uh, a fan of best of three and don't especially like best of one, but I actually really enjoy best of one and limited. And it's probably because I'm not as interested in it, but, uh, and I know I'm wrong here and you should probably correct me, but I tend to feel like sideboarding matters less or personally I sideboard much less in limited. Am I doing it wrong, Ben? Is sideboarding just as uh, important in limited as constructed? No, no, you're not wrong. I mean, sideboarding is definitely more important for balancing matchups in constructed because what happens in constructed is you know your worst matchups and you know there's a lot of win percent to gain there. So you'll generally have sideboard plans or sideboard cards at least to heavily influence those. So they're really meaningful. Now, in Limited, what's usually happening is you see a couple flyers, you're boarding in some anti-flyer sideboard cards, or you see uh, some enchantments, you're boarding in some enchantment kill, or even more subtly, you just see your opponent has a lot of 3-3s, so you're boarding out 4-3s and boarding in 3-4s, right? Just cards that line up better against them. Um, So I think ultimately, you're, you're right, sideboarding is worth even more in Constructed than Limited. I don't personally believe sideboarding is like a necessary part of limited. I don't believe it's a key factor in making limited fun. But like I said, it's still, in my opinion, just fun. It's still just, you know, drafting. How high do I take this sideboard card? Do I take it over a moderate playable? It's just an interesting, uh, it's just space. It's just game space, right? It's just decision-making space. And it's interesting. So, I mean, I don't see the advantage to getting rid of it, aside from best of one being faster than best of three. So, again, to me, this feels like a why do I have to choose when I have 10 hours and I'm going to sit at home and just play magic all day and I'm not on a schedule, (laughs) I can do best of three when I want to play some quick games before, you know, I meet people for lunch or whatever, I can do best of one. Like, I don't understand why I have to choose between the more time-consuming 10 and the less time-consuming 9. Just give me the option to do both. Yeah, and I think uh, hopefully we keep heading more and more in that direction as we get more and more players on Arena. Maybe Wizards will feel a little more comfortable having uh, more queues up all the time and uh, more options available because I think in general, like, more options Options are a good thing. As long as the cues are firing, uh, just give people uh, their choices and let them play whatever they find to be most appealing for them in a given situation. Uh, 
I got to ask, you mentioned picking a sideboard card over a moderate playable. Something that comes up a lot, especially with people kind of new to limited, maybe less so with arena, but what do you think of the concept of hate drafting or counter drafting? What's your, your feelings on that? <laughs> I see, I see uh, there's some laughing going on. Is this something that's been debated here among the uh, podcast uh, cohorts? I mean, uh, like what is, what is going on behind the scenes here? <laughs> I joke about it a lot with friends and we, we, when we're drafting and whatnot, I, I <laughs> like, and you're in a pod. This is the thing that I love in the, like the human element of having a, a human draft pod is that <laughs> you, you see a, like, I like, I'll look at a pick and I'll just be like, Hey, I just don't want somebody at the table to have this. So I'm just going to take it. And sometimes some of those, it, it, it's, it's humorous to do that, I guess, to like to some like my group and I, uh, just because like it doesn't really improve your deck at all, and it, and it could potentially be a bad pick, and that is something that I, I've always wondered, right? Like, when is it a good time to hate draft? So that's a yeah, that's a good segue to the actual hate drafting strategy because it really does describe it well. Um, so if you're just you know wanting to dagger your friend in your playgroup, <laughs> go ahead. I love yeah. to dagger my friends as much as anybody, and, you know, what's more fun than showing your friend this broken green card that would have made their deck and you took it from them, right? Like, yeah. That's just, that's, that's, that's just great, obviously. But from a maximizing... Oh, there's no, no debate necessary. I mean, come on, who doesn't love that? But from a maximizing win percent standpoint, from an optimal game strategy standpoint, it's very rarely going to be right to draft anything, no matter how good it is. If you look at a typical booster draft scenario, and of course they vary, but let's, you know, the, the a typical most common one, you're going to play like three rounds, right? And uh, you're going to have seven potential opponents because pods have eight people and you're one of them, can't play yourself. So that means to start, you're only three sevenths to even play against the person who has this card. So f- over 50% of the time, you'll never even play a match against that card, right? Like, the card just doesn't exist to you. Because, in theory, you don't care who wins and loses if it doesn't involve you, right? Right. Uh, so, so that's over half the time you hate draft a card. You derive zero value from that hate draft. Now that half of the time that you do hate, you do derive value because you would have played against the card, you're still only playing against it once in three rounds compared to a card you draft for your deck. That's in your deck in all three rounds, right? So there's something like three times the value then in getting a card uh, for your deck compared to hating a card. And this applies uh, even if uh, you're going to play all seven opponents somehow. Let's say it was seven rounds of Swiss draft or something, right? Because you're then what would happen, you wouldn't have the half the time you never play against a card, but you would have a card you draft is in your deck all seven rounds. And then a card that you hate from somebody, you only uh, damage that person's chances against you in one-seventh of your rounds. So there would be a lot more value in drafting a card that's going to be in your deck in all seven matches than there would be in taking a card out of someone's deck the one out of seven matches they would, they would have gotten a chance to play against you and might have drawn it, right? Right. And then also they have to draw it. They have to draw the mana to cast it. I mean, for it to be a hate draft that creates any uh, any real value, it has to turn their loss against you, their win against you, into a loss. The fact that you hated it from them. So when you come, and I mean that's true of when you draft a card for you as well. It has to you know turn a loss into a win for it to be producing value for you. But the point is, when a card is in your deck every game, every round against every opponent, it's a lot easier for that card to produce value than when you take it away from one person 
prospective opponent who you may or may not play one time, and then they may or may not draw it, and then it may or may not make a difference. So in general, I think people hate way too much. <laughs> I've never been big at hate, on hate drafting outside of team drafts. Yeah. Team drafts work differently because in a team draft, the, that concept that I just kind of rambled on about for the past couple of minutes doesn't really apply because if me and you are teammates, right, and we're playing against two opponents, if I hate a card from the opponent, that card would have been in play against me and against you, and I care equally about you winning as me winning because we're a team and it affects uh, my my performance of the tournament, whether you win or lose, just the same as it affects mine. So now that card is in play every round against you. So in team drafts, it makes sense to hate a lot because basically anytime you take a card from an opponent, that card would have been in play every single round, not the one time they might have played against you. But in individual drafts, where, again, you might be three out of seven to play this person, and then that's only one-third of the matches you play that the card is even involved in, there's just so little value in hate drafting compared to getting something for your deck that I, like, almost okay. never do it. Like, the only times I can get... Like, the only times I can really think of myself hate drafting is when there was basically nothing for me. I'll take, like, you know... I would take, like, generally, like, a sideboard anti-flyers card, if I'm green, green, red, or whatever, over, like, a broken black rare. Take okay. I'll just pass up somebody next to me, that mythic rare, and just grab the sideboard card for me, generally. And, like, I guess, like, that... that And, yeah, like, so I guess that answers that question, because, like, is it is it ever, right, even if it's just, like, a planeswalker or, or, or whatever. I guess, like, after a certain point, like, there, there's another thing that was always a, a, a weird question when it comes to limit it's like when do you learn when do you decide to switch colors is it ever too late to switch colors and things like that when it comes to limited yeah i mean it's such a complicated concept we we talk about that a lot in the course um but it's like of course it has to be too late in the sense that the very last pick of the draft has to be too late right right but there's not like one exact point uh i always try and put it like this the draft decides what i'm gonna draft i don't decide Meaning, like, let's say, like, I first picked, uh, let's say after five picks, I had two white cards, two blue cards, and a green card. Well, am I still open to playing red or not? Well, I might think it's a very low chance I'm going to play red, but let's pretend six pick had, um, I don't know, the best red common. Let's just use M20, Chandra's Outrage, and it had no other playables, just none. Well, I'm going to take the Chandra's Outrage because there's no playables, right? I'm not saying, like, what if there was a good blue card that wasn't as good as Chandra's Outrage when I have two blue, two white, and a green, because then it could be too close to call or too complicated. But for the sake of this conversation, let's just imagine I got past a pack six now with Chandra's Outrage and zero playables. Of course, I'm going to take the Chandra's Outrage. There's no other playables. Now, let's say seventh pick. Um, there's another Chandra's Outrage and no other playables. Well, it looks like I'm right. switching to red or whatever, right? Because I'm taking the Outrage and then eighth pick. Well, what if there's another good red card and no other playables? Well, I'm, I'm taking another red card. What if the, what if eighth pick after I take those two Chandra Outrage, there's no red cards and there's a great blue card to go with my other two good blue cards that I already drafted? Well, now I'm taking the blue card. I mean, at this point, I'm probably mostly looking at blue red, but I might be blue white if the, if I then go on to see blue and white cards and no more red cards except those two random outrages. So 
for the most part, it's not like it's some conscious choice I make. I'm going to switch now. It's like you just kind of navigate knowing that um, the more cards you have of a color, the more likely you are to actually play that color. So there's more value in taking more cards of that color. But also the better a card is, the more value there is in taking it. So you're just doing this dance between how good is the card and how likely is it to make my deck based on what I already have and how much draft remains. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, obviously they'd be like, Oh, we'll always shit find out by like pack two, pick two, when to shift. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, they, I, that makes a lot of sense that you kind of just go with the flow of your draft. So yeah. I mean, there's been times I've switched in pack three, but it's not that common. But, you know, drafts could break every which way. So imagine a draft where you have like 12 red cards, four blue cards and four white cards, let's say, Mm -hmm. and you're in pick three of pack three. Well, you're not dropping red, obviously, but you still don't necessarily know whether you're blue or white if you have 12 red cards, four blue cards, four white cards at that point. So there's been times where then I started seeing multiple white cards I just that were the best of the packs. I took them one at a time and dropped blue, and I you know didn't know what my second color was early in pack three. That's not most. That's not most drafts. The vast majority of drafts, uh, I could tell you what colors I'm going to play after the end of pack one, <laughs> but it definitely, but it definitely varies. Yeah, you know? yeah. It seems it seems that way. I think that's kind of like the beauty of limited too, right? Like that, the, it it's it's not the same, and I think that's why uh, limited yeah. has some crazy appeal. And I don't know why I personally don't play it more. Maybe, maybe like at least on arena and maybe once like you start getting pod drafts and stuff like that and you add the human element, that's when I would probably play a lot more limited on arena. But for right now, that is one of the very fun things about limited. Yeah. Different people like different things. I mean, you know, if you hate fun, that's your business. Well, if you hate fun, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm obviously just teasing like different people enjoy different things. I I don't know why you don't play more. Yeah. So I think we're actually kind of getting near the end of our time for our podcast today. Uh, So I want to ask you, though, Ben, uh, is there anything else you want to tell people about your Spikes Academy course before we kind of wrap things up today? Which, again, Ben Goldfish is the code over at uh, SpikesAcademy.com to get 12% off. Anything else at all that you want to mention about it? I do like that code. MTG Goldfish is awesome, so why not have a Ben Goldfish? (laughs) Yeah, Um, (laughs) perfect. As far as spikes, uh, like I said, don't go there expecting to be blown away by some profound concepts that you had like never thought of or heard from me. If you, especially if you've watched my draft videos for years and years and things like that. But if you want uh, a good, concise lesson, it is designed to be a class. It is designed to be. I want to level up my limited game. I, I like limited. I watch limited. I play limited. I know these concepts, but I've never been taught a class. Here's concept one. Here are some examples. Here's concept two. Here are some examples. Here's concept three. Here are some examples. Here is a quiz testing that you learn these concepts, that you remember the examples and the concepts, that you can apply them. Okay, next next section. Here's concept one. Here are some examples and explanation. That's what the Spikes Academy uh, class is meant to be. It's not some mind-blowing pro- product that you're going to be like, that you're really missing out if you don't get. 
But if you want a good focused class on limited, where like we specifically thought of what are the concepts and then thought of, and I say we, I made all the content to be clear. The Spikes Academy guys uh, on my course, uh, the Spikes Academy guys are like the medium. They film, they produce, um, but like every word in my Spikes Academy class is, is written by me. And uh, I assume that's the same for, you know, PB's Spikes class and Siggy's, not that I wrote them, but that they wrote them. It'd be really weird if I wrote their classes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, the other teachers, uh, I think PB and Seth and Reed and uh, whoever, uh, Corey, I think Corey Burkhart. Uh, I, I don't know. They, they have a bunch of teachers. But uh, anyways, point is, uh, the teachers made their own courses. Uh, at least I made every word in my course. And uh, like I said, uh, the point of the Spikes Academy is it is a class. It is meant to teach. It is meant to be focused. It is meant that whereas consuming limited content is a good way to get better at limited and also a great way to just have a lot of fun, it's not a focused lesson. It's like a good time. And then we cover the concepts and the plays and whatever as they come up. Uh, the, the class is a class. It is designed to teach you the concepts in as concise and focused way as possible with examples and all of that. So apart from Spice Academy, which one more time, SpiceAcademy.com, Spice 12% off this week with the code Ben Goldfish on Ben's course. Uh, I know people could follow you, Ben S uh, underscore MTG on Twitter. Where else can people find you, Ben, if they want to watch some drafts or check out your content? This is going to be really hard to believe, but I managed to lock up that heavily sought after uh, moniker everywhere. <laughs> so if, if you, if you nice. just, yeah, you know, as, as much as everyone in the world wanted Ben S underscore MTG, I got it. <laughs> so I got, I got that name on Twitch, on Twitter, on YouTube. Um, my YouTube channel is a pretty new concept because for years I made my draft videos for CFB and then I parted ways with CFB earlier this year. I didn't want to stop making draft videos. So I immediately just made a YouTube channel so I could post my own stuff. There's like five five videos or so from M20. The first um, video from Throne will actually be going up tomorrow. And uh, I'm just, you know, it's just getting developed. Those, those set reviews me and Detsy did together on stream are on there. Uh, I try and label things so it's like new draft video for YouTube or Twitch VOD or sealed run from Twitch or, you know, sealed advice video or whatever. So you can check me out on YouTube. Um, like uh, on stream, it's Benos underscore MTG on Twitch. I only stream on Twitch right now. Um, I stream, like I said, Monday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I usually am pretty good about the schedule. Of course, when it's a one-person show, I can't do a good stream <laughs> if I have a cold or something, or occasionally there's some really important thing I need to take care of. But for the most part, I keep the schedule uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. I start at 5 p.m. I usually wrap up between 10 p.m. and midnight Eastern time. Uh, so there's the, there's the YouTube channel. There's the Twitch uh, I'd like to give a shout out to my new sponsor, Mage Market. Um, they're, they're, uh, you can't find my work there at the moment because I'm not currently making content for them yet actively, but they're sponsoring my stream and YouTube channel. So, uh, you know, um, that's, that's just, uh, I guess not somewhere you can find my work, but that's something you should check out because they're sponsoring more and more people. And, uh, some people still may not have heard of them, but they're a great way to buy and sell magic cards. Um, but yeah, that's about it. That's where I'm at. Awesome. Well, uh, once you finish up the podcast, uh, Ben should be live, uh, unless something unforeseen happens, should be live right now on Twitch. So if you are excited about Limited, want to uh, go bug Ben on 
Twitch, watch him do some drafting, talk about draft picks. Uh, jump over to Twitch and watch Ben do some drafts right now. So, uh, anyway, I think that brings us to the end of episode 245 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. Uh, Krim, thanks for hanging out like always. Ben, thank you so much for uh, joining us. It was awesome to have you on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me and talking about Limited. I, like I said, I know it's not what you all normally do, so I appreciate the support. I mean, if you ever want to have me back, just shoot me a message. Uh, I'm sure we will. I would love to have you sure back thing. again in the future. That would be awesome. And one more reminder, uh, code Ben Goldfish is Spikes Academy, 12% off this week on Ben's Limited course. So on that note, uh, no fish mail this week. If you sent in questions, we will get to them next week. If you have questions, hashtag them uh, MTG Fish Mail on Twitter, and we will answer them all next week. So until then, uh, this is the crew signing out.